Hello everyone. I hope you're doing well and surviving this uh, current round of shutdowns that we're experiencing. Um, at the beginning of the pandemic, the last time we had to shut down all the ministries of the church, uh, we didn't want uh, to just shut down you know, parish groups and small groups and Sunday school and youth ministries and women's ministries, um, all the stuff that goes on in church. We didn't want to shut that down and uh, not provide any type of discipleship uh, throughout the week. So what we did is we got into a rhythm where on Tuesday I would um, do something online to encourage you and your faith. Wednesday, Mark would do something, and then Thursday, Will would do something. And that rhythm worked well for us when the church was shut down. So now that we're shut down again, of course, except for uh, corporate worship on Sundays, uh, we thought we'd get back into that rhythm just to not uh, leave you completely cut off from uh, the discipleship of the church. What we're going to do this time is we are going to uh, do it thematically according to the past Sunday's sermon. Uh, so, so you've got the sermon on Sunday, and then on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, each of us are going to provide, I guess you could say, further thought, further applications um, that we have from the sermon. Just kind of going deeper into the topic and let the sermons drive that. Now, last week, um, our director of student ministries, Mac Holt, preached an amazing sermon. It was just, I, I, it, I, if I'm allowed to say it, I'm just so proud of Mac. Uh, I've known him for a long time. He was actually in the youth group when I was doing youth ministry, and um, I've been uh, working with him. He's in our pastor's college. He's on track toward ordination, so I've been with him along the journey of his development. I'm just so excited to see, uh, certainly the pastor and preacher that um, he is becoming, but the, the man, the father, uh, the husband that, that Mac Holt um, has become and is becoming. It just brought me such joy to uh, sit under his preaching on Sunday. And I know if you uh, were there, whether in our limited space here or uh, online, you were blessed. You can see the Lord has clearly gifted him as a preacher of God's word. And so I'm excited to see what the Lord has in store for him. But anyway, Mac preached a phenomenal sermon on Thanksgiving. It was on the heels of Thanksgiving weekend, so that made sense. And his challenge to us was to enter into the Advent season in this spirit of thanksgiving. Um, and I, I think that's a beautiful application. When it seems as if um, this year we don't have much to be thankful for, why not challenge us to uh, remember um, why and how we should be uh, thankful? And his closing application um, was to submit ourselves to the discipline of giving thanks. And I love that. I love that uh, language of discipline of thanksgiving because it is a discipline. Um, we, we tend to think that unless we're feeling thankful, we shouldn't give thanks. But the opposite is true. By giving thanks, by counting our blessings, by recounting our blessings to the Lord and to others, by practicing thanksgiving, we actually become a more thankful people. So this discipline of giving thanks is absolutely necessary in cultivating thanksgiving in our lives. With that said, and what I want to talk about today, is there are moments where Thanksgiving is really, really, really easy for us, and it's those moments of happiness. So this is going to be illustrated here in a few weeks uh, with our kids on Christmas morning. Uh, of course, not all presents are created equal. We all know that. Every kid knows that. Um, and so they'll, they'll unwrap the stereotypical gift of, you know, pajamas or socks or, or whatever, and uh, it won't thrill them so much, but a, a parent will rightfully say, you, you need to say thank you. Maybe you, you may not be feeling Thanksgiving right in that moment, but it's important for you to, what Mac was talking about, 
to submit yourself to the discipline of giving thanks. It's important for you to give thanks in that moment. And that's true. It is educating. It is, is discipling our kids in the ways of thanksgiving. But then there will be other presents where we won't have to tell them to give thanks. It'll be that, that present they've been longing for, dreaming about, talking about, talking to Santa about, longing for this, you know, whatever it is. When they unwrap that, they will be so filled with joy that there will be a spontaneous outflow of thanksgiving. They will jump in the lap of a mother, um, a father, a grandparent, and just say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. There is this inextricable uh, connection between joy and thanksgiving. In fact, I would argue, biblically speaking, that thanksgiving is the, uh, the, the natural overflow and end of our joy. And I think um, when we look at the challenge of giving thanks in 2020, I think we see it as the former, not the latter, as the unwrapping the socks versus unwrapping the, you know, PlayStation or whatever. And, and I understand that. I mean, we look at the circumstances where we find ourselves. We're in another lockdown from this pandemic. We're getting so tired of it. Uh, there is fear of health. There's fear of financial ruin. Um, our political and social fabric of our nation feels like it's barely hanging on and we're about to be torn apart into our own animosity. So if we're going to give thanks this year, I think we think it's going to be kind of the forced uh, Thanksgiving, not the happy Thanksgiving. And again, I think the forced Thanksgiving is a good thing. Even when you're not feeling thankful, it's still good to practice Thanksgiving. But I don't think we feel as though this year we have that spontaneous, thank you God, life's so good thing going on. Well, what I want to do is I want to take up the challenge of guiding us into a Thanksgiving born out of joy when it seems as though there is nothing to be joyful over. I want to take us to Luke 2, the most famous uh, Christmas passage, the most famous passage of Christ's birth. Uh, the shepherds are out in the field at night, keeping watch of the flock. Angel of the Lord appears. Glory of the Lord shines around them. And they receive a revelation from the heavens. And this is what the angel says in verse 10. And the angel of the Lord said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So heaven brings good news, literally the gospel, for all the people, a global gospel for the world. But let us not miss or take for granted the significance of that descriptor. It is good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The good news is, quite literally, as, as we love to sing, joy to the world. Now think about that. When heaven announces the arrival of the Messiah, joy is its chosen description. It does not say good news of great love, though that's certainly true. It does not say good news of great hope, though that's certainly true. It does not say good news of great peace, great glory, great mercy. There are countless ways to describe the good news of the gospel, but heaven prioritizes joy. And I think that matters. What excites heaven the most about the arrival of Jesus is that it's going to make the world happy again. And yes, I am defining joy as happiness. There is a movement, and you'll hear this a lot, um, trying to redefine joy as something that it is not, which is happiness. The emotion of feeling happy. That's the meaning of the word joy in the Greek. 
That's the meaning of the word joy in the English. That's the meaning of the word joy in every language because that is the meaning of joy. But what is popular these days to say is that happiness is this frivolous, trivial emotion that comes and goes with circumstances, and we shouldn't necessarily prioritize that or be concerned with it. But joy is this deep, unaffected conviction that cannot be moved or shaken. That's simply untrue. A coping, I believe it's a coping mechanism to deal with how fragile joy is in this fallen world, meaning it's so hard to find and certainly hard to maintain that we'll just give up on it and we will define it as something that it isn't. But what we see here is that God has not given up on the dream of happiness for the world because that's what the world was made to experience. The Garden of Eden was a very happy place, a perpetually happy place. But when it was violated by sin, there emerged these strange, intruding, foreign emotions. Sadness, despondency, pain, tears, um, worry, anxieties. All of these sensations that ought not to be, but now tend to be more prevalent than their counterpart of joy. And so the world is left starving, literally ravenous for joy. Everything from the opioid epidemic in eastern Kentucky to, um, uh, to the Netflix binge, all of it is an attempt to reclaim what was compromised in Eden, this thing called happiness. We're just not happy anymore. And it's not that we want to be happy and we're just missing out. It's that we need to be happy. We are made to be happy. Our souls are literally designed for happiness. And here in Luke 2, heaven bursts through the boundaries of this miserable world with good news of great joy for all the people. News proclaiming that the world is destined to be happy once again. But it's one thing to announce it. It's another thing to accomplishment. How is this even possible? We sing joy to the world every year. And we love that hymn. And we love that song. And we rejoice at the thought of joy to the world. But is joy to the world even possible? Verse 11. For, now that for indicates that this is the reason, the foundation of good news of great joy. That is to say, this is what will make the world happy. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. This birth, this event, this circumstance is the source of joy. Now, why am I saying it like this? Because another misconception we tend to have about joy is that it's, it isn't circumstantial. You will hear well-intended people speak of Christian joy as something that is impervious to any and all circumstances, and that's not true. Of course, our happiness is dependent upon circumstances, when, when we experience joyful circumstances, we're happy. When we experience difficult circumstances, we're sad. And that's precisely the point, um, that's precisely the problem with joy, right? It's so fragile, coming and going based upon changing circumstances. And you won't find the Bible trying to argue otherwise. Instead, and this is the key, what the Bible is announcing here is the introduction of a new circumstance that will transcend any and all other circumstances. In other words, this announcement from on high 
of joy to the world is not ignorant of all bad news that fills this world. It's just that it views this good news of great joy to be far superior of any and all bad news of great sorrow. Joy is circumstantial, but this is a joyful circumstance that overcomes and, dare I say, overwhelms any and all mournful, painful circumstances. Simply put, because this happened, we have reason to be happy no matter anything else that happens. So why aren't we happy? I want to suggest that we have forgotten just how good this news truly is. Isn't it interesting, the command here in this passage? Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Behold it. Observe, consider, meditate, dwell, contemplate, internalize, apply. This is what it means to behold. I wonder if the problem is not the truth of this good news of great joy, but rather our failure to behold the truth. So let's behold it. As we enter into this Advent season, let's take a break and behold how good and how joyful is this news. And here's what I want you to behold. A Savior has been born to you. That didn't have to happen. In fact, it should not have happened. And that, my friends, would have been the worst news of all. I don't, I, I don't in any way mean to minimize your difficult circumstances. I know the painful circumstances of a lot of people who will be watching this video, and I know how horrific they are. Some of you are facing the worst of the worst, and I don't want to minimize that. I only mean to tell you that nothing compares to the dreadful thought of no Savior born to you. To leave us helpless and hopeless in our sinful estate, to hand us over to the hell of our own choosing, to abandon us to our wounds from this horrific fallen world, to just leave us in that pain with no hope of healing and redemption, to pronounce upon us what we deserve to hear. You got yourself into this mess. Now it's on you to save yourself from this mess, which we cannot do. Nothing could be more horrifying. And I do mean nothing. Go ahead. Name your worst circumstance, your greatest fear in life. And as I've already said, some of you are living it right now. But then compare it to the prospect of no Savior shall be born to you. We just take it for granted. But nothing could be worse than a world without Christmas. But behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you in the city of David, a Savior has been born. You have a Savior. A Savior has been born to you. And that good news of great joy transcends any bad news of great sorrow. And so, yes, friends, you ought to be happy no matter what. And if you're not, then behold. Behold the good news of great joy again and again and again and again. Behold it until it breaks through the gloomy clouds of night and puts a smile on your face. And that gospel smile of great joy is why Jesus came. Do you know what it cost him to make you happy? 
his misery. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. We call him a man of sorrows. What a name for the Son of God who came. His birth is great joy for us, but great sorrow for him. Jesus laid aside his eternal happiness to bear the destiny of my eternal sorrow. On the last night of his life, this is what he had to say. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow, as it should be, because the greatest moment of misery the world would ever know, the, the worst circumstance the world would ever know was before him. And yet he embraces the misery so that we can be happy. So for Christ's sake, literally, for Christ's sake, be happy. The greatest way to honor this good news of great joy is to enjoy this good news of great joy. Or to state it negatively, the greatest way to dishonor the great links our Savior went to for our joy is to not be joyful. Here's my challenge for us this Advent season, a counterintuitive challenge in 2020. Give Jesus what he wants, and what he wants is your joy. You can't repay him for what he has done. He doesn't expect you to or want you to. You can't add to this gift and make it better than it is. That's impossible. He doesn't expect you to or doesn't want you to, but you can enjoy it and then thank him for it. This is all he expects and wants from us. So for once, would you just accept that it's true and enjoy that it's true? A Savior really has been born to you. A Savior really has died for you. A Savior really is risen and coming back for you. This good news of great joy is really true for you. So give him what he wants and just enjoy it. And then, out of the overflow of that joy, give him the spontaneous gift of thanksgiving. All right, we'll be back next Tuesday. Mark tomorrow, Will on Thursday. Next Tuesday to discuss, I'm starting my Advent sermon series uh, next Sunday. I know a lot of you can't attend, that's okay. We're actually asking those who are comfortable staying at home to stay at home. Um, and make use of our live stream. So I know a lot of people will be watching in. So watch in on that and then come back next Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday as we go deeper into uh, this Advent season and this Advent series that I'm uh, really thankful and excited to preach. And we'll see you next week.